Well, good morning, everybody. How are you this Lord's Day? I can tell by uh, the confused looks on many of your faces as you come in that I should spend some time introducing myself. Um, I'm Dave McGuire. Uh, I will become a member here next week, Lord willing. Uh, we were going to do it this week, but unfortunately, my wife, Kathy, uh, came down with a pretty bad cold this morning um, and had to you know, spend the day in bed. Um, uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Washington State. I moved to uh, Los Angeles about 12 years ago. Uh, and then um, earlier this year, in February, March, uh, we, uh, by the Lord's providence, made the move to Las Vegas. Um, we'd uh, visited here many, many times before uh, to my wife's family, who moved here uh, years ago, um, and had the uh, privilege of of uh, worshiping with you all. Um, and so the transition to this church has been a very simple one. Um, in uh, 2011, I was ordained as a deacon locally in that uh, Valley Presbyterian Church in North Hills, California. Uh, and then a few years later as a ruling elder. Um, and the Lord has been very good to me. I grew up uh, Pentecostal charismatic um, and made the transition to the Reformed tradition uh, in college, um, and uh, that's where I'm speaking to you from uh, today as a Reformed man uh, in the United States uh, in 2018, which is a very rough position to be in, right? Um, I'd like to go over a few things with you, uh, but first let's uh, open with prayer. Lord, thank you for gathering us here together uh, on your day uh, to celebrate your son, uh, thank you that we have the privilege to worship freely in this country. Thank you that we have uh, the uh, spirit who comes uh, to gather us together and uh, helps us to worship in truth. Uh, thank you that you have given us your word and that we can listen to it, open our hearts and our minds to um, your teaching and uh, help this uh, uh, teacher uh, to be true uh, in what he says. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'd like to open with uh, what every good speech does or lesson, statistics. Um, does everybody familiar with the state of theology uh, survey that comes out, uh, I think, every, every couple of years, every two years, I think, Ligonier Ministries does one? Um, I was originally going to talk about the opening of the book of John. I'm still going to. Um, and I was going to talk to, a little bit about how the opening of the book of John is, in essence, a Christmas story. There's a genealogy. Um, there is a triumphal pronouncement. There is the incarnation. Uh, and then there's the good news of the gospel. Uh, then I looked on the Internet, and I uh, became troubled. Um, in uh, 2018, um, evangelicals, lots of evangelicals were asked uh, if, uh, to agree or disagree with the following statement. Um, everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature, and 52% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Uh, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 78% uh, of evangelicals, self-proclaimed evangelicals, agreed with that statement. Uh, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 23% of evangelicals agree uh, with that. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. 58% uh, of evangelicals agree. Uh, 
religious belief is not a matter, is a matter rather, of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. 60% of evangelicals agree with that statement. Uh, the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. 44% of evangelicals agree with that statement. Finally, abortion is a sin. <clears throat> 52% of evangelicals. Still the majority, but sinking fast. I'd like to read for you a tweet. Um, Baby, I loved you with all my heart, but you just weren't meant to be with us right now. We're going through a lot, and you deserved all the love in the world. Your brother and sister would have loved you too. Rest easy, baby love, you'll never be forgotten. It's hashtag abortion. It's, uh, it's also includes a, an ultrasound. On uh, last Saturday, I believe, uh, after my office's Christmas party, uh, I was uh, out with uh, a few friends from work, and one of them casually tossed off a story about how uh, when her ni the 19-year-old daughter of some good friends of her became pregnant, uh, she uh, encouraged abortion, uh, but that she was happy that the baby was born because it's so nice to her. Uh, my daughter the other night asked me how we can know uh, that the Bible is true. The Bible is the right Bible. And I think that um, we can through the opening of the book of John. Uh, the Bible, <clears throat> I said to her in uh, uh, sort of less intellectual words, is intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. Those are the words of uh, Tim Keller. I talked to her a little bit about how we can know that the Bible is true, both because it explains to us what uh, life is, the problems that we face, and also then the solution to those problems. I'd like to open here with the first 18 verses of the book of John. <clears throat> if you could follow along with me. And I apologize, I'm also feeling gravelly as well. So if I clear my throat a lot or use um, it's just uh, <clears throat> because I'm fighting the same cold that my poor wife is fighting this morning. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed his name, he gave the, light, or the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen the, the God the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known.
So talk a little bit about how Jesus knew perfect love through the Trinity. This is a little, this uh, lesson's based, if you're wondering on uh, the, um, the chapter on the Trinity and the reason for God by Tim Keller. It's a wonderful book. And I uh, encourage everyone to read it, regardless of where you stand uh, on uh, apologetics, if you uh, tend toward the presuppositional or classical or uh, evidential. Uh, it's a very good, uh, very good read. Um, I um, tend to look at uh, apologetics more as relational, um, and I, I don't want to lose that relationship uh, with an unbeliever uh, because I, I um, am demolishing their worldview. But in essence, uh, to apologize for Christ, you must demolish this worldview, the worldview that says that uh, abortion is just fine, uh, the world that, or an option, uh, the world, the world uh, view that says that um, you know there is no objective truth, the world view that says uh, that you know this is a good book just like many other good books that tell us how to live rightly, but little else. Jesus knew perfect love through the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity means that God is by nature relational. So what do, what do we see there? We see that uh, uh, that community is a part of eternity. Right? So that's why the book of Hebrews tells us not to neglect getting together. That's why we can't sit at home and have the same worship experience um, just by uh, listening to podcasts or uh, watching a preacher on TV. Um, the Spirit lives to glorify the Son. Right? That's uh, John 16, 14. Can somebody look that up for me? John 16, 14, 17, 4, and 17, 5, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, the Spirit lives to glorify the Son, and uh, the Son glorifies uh, the Father by accomplishing His will, right? The Father glorifies the Son and has done so for all eternity. Uh, 16, 14, if you wouldn't mind. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has, has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Bob. Uh, 17.4. I glorify you, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Amen. 17.5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we share before the world again. Absolutely. So the Trinity means that the center of the very universe <laughs> is love. Uh, a great love. So what, what is it that all people are essentially seeking? They're seeking community, and they're seeking fulfillness, uh, fulfillment through that community, right? They're seeking love. And so what, is, what does that tell us that, that the Bible, uh, that is at the center of the Bible? The center of the Bible is essentially community and love. It's in the Trinity, in the very essence and nature of the Trinity. A great love, a love where each person of the Trinity hears the other two in his center and bears them, Right? self-giving and demanding nothing in return. So in contrast then to that lady who tweets out about her abortion, is this not the right time for this child to enter the world? Right? We were made out of, for, and through this love. That's a verse uh, three of chapter one. Can somebody read that for me? All 
things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was, was not anything made that was made. Right. So, in essence, we proceed from that love. The very reason for our being is because the the, the at the center of the Trinity is love. Um, what what is it that we do when we're in love? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, we're patient with the other, absolutely. And endlessly patient sometimes. What else? Especially with children, right? What else? What else do we do when we're in love? Think about when you and your spouse were first together. What did you want to do? You wanted to go shout it from the rooftops, right? Just proclaim that love. I wanted to... I uh, go and show everybody, like, look who I got. And I wish she was here today so I could show you and make her feel embarrassed. But she's not. So, you, you know, the, when I, I remember going to my aunt's house and my aunt uh, sort of pulled me aside and said, how did you land her? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but she's uh, wonderful. And I wanted to let everybody know. I, wanted, I, I took her up to... Uh, Washington, where I'm from, right after we got engaged, and I, uh, I, uh, she sounds like an object now. That's terrible of me, but um, yeah, and I, we had a, a party, so I could I could say, look, this is the woman I love. This is who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And honestly, that same proclamation of love is all throughout the Bible, and it is. Christ talking to the Father, and the Father speaking of his Son, in whom he is well pleased, and the Spirit then proceeding through the church, granting power to each and every believer out of that same love. So what else do you do? You get married, right? You bind yourself to that other person for your entire life. This is an echo of the relationship in the Trinity. What else do you do? You have kids, right? We, we did both. We adopted and we had a biological child, right? And so that love that issues forth from that relationship is echoing of the Trinity. So you see, again, our worldview makes sense of why we want these things. It makes sense of why we want these things. And it tells us what is at our core. What is at our core? We were created because God wanted to share his love. There's so much love within the Trinity, within the Father, in the relationship with the Son, in relationship with the Spirit. There's so much love that God wanted to share it. And what did he do when he wanted to share it? He created us. But then we rebelled, right? So here, we have our reason for being. We have what makes sense of the world and its community and its longing for relationship, its longing for love. But then we have what happened what happened? Why is it broken? Yeah. And, th- and that's, the, that's the, the crux of all of this, is that you can talk to anybody with any worldview, and you can say, like, what do you really want? And they'll say, well, you know, I want a nice house, I want a car, but, but essentially you drill it down, you drill it down, they want relationship, they want community, they want love. And then you say, why can't you have those things? And they say, because of other people. Right? It's, that's, and that's by nature what sin is, right? It's broken relationship. It's us rebelling against God. 
It's us spitting in the face of God. We exchanged the truth for a lie, says in Romans. We shook our fists at God and worshipped the creation rather than the creator. We worshipped living our best life now, which would include murdering a child if we had to, right? In the old days, we murdered children because we wanted calm seas and good harvest. Today, we murder children because we want a larger bank account or a vacation to Hawaii. God gave us over to our desires, right? So you can talk about, when you talk about worldview, you talk about God allowing these things to happen. Well, if there was a good God, why would there be uh, murder? If there's a good God, why does anybody want to abort a child? If there's a good God, why can't I have that vacation to Hawaii? Anybody? Yeah. He gave us over to our desires to play into the muck and the mud. But praise be to God that he did not leave us there. So you break down somebody's worldview. You say, I know what you want. You say, I know why you want it. You say, I know why you can't have it. And then that's the midpoint of Psalm 51, right? Where, God, where David is in the muck and the mire. But God doesn't leave him there. And that brings us to where, where do we go? If God left us there, it would be justice, right? Do any of us really want justice? Nah, we want justice for the other guy. That's a... I was talking uh, again to this same friend who'd uh, encouraged her uh, 19-year-old, I I guess, sort of like proxy niece uh, to have an abortion. Um, She uh, just encourages karma, right? I I think, you know, if you put good out into the world, good will come back to you. And you put bad out into the world, bad will come back to you. But that's not true, Right? We know plenty of very nice people who have it very rough. A 35-year-old friend of mine who once told me she wished that she could be religious like me, uh, but she just can't. She just, it's not in her. Lovely person. One of the nicest people I've ever known. Uh, she was a half marathon runner. She taught my wife how to run marathons, and she and my wife trained together and then ran together. Um, had never smoked a cigarette in her life, uh, very rarely had a drink, uh, and then was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And she, uh, I'm sorry, lung cancer. And she died uh, at 36, 37, I think, um, you know, a few years after I met her. We were by her side, um, you know, toward the end, um, praying for her, uh, but... Uh, you know, there's no proclamation. Like, if, if karma was real, she would still be here. But karma's not real, right? We all know that. That would be just, justice. Justice. Justice is real. But we don't want it. What do we want? We want mercy. The Son of God. This is the other part of John. The Son of God, who knew perfect love for all eternity became a man to know perfect suffering in our place. Because, of course, the wrath of God 
just like the love of God is perfect. So think about perfect love, and then think about perfect wrath. How horrifying is perfect wrath when in, co in contrast to perfect love? How much suffering must Christ have had to bear on the cross in that perfect wrath? If we believe in the finished work of Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. This is our hope. The one who should have been lifted up was crushed for our sake. He took the wrath of God upon himself, so we don't have to, right? So you talk about what's at the core of us. This is how we address worldviews, right? You talk about what is the core of us. You talk about why things are the way they are. You talk about how, why, how things are broken and why things are broken. And then you provide hope. And you talk about how there is a, the hope is centered in a man. And that's what the first 18 verses of John talk about. The, the hope is centered in a man who is God. The, the gap between God and man is so big, so great, that only God himself could fill it. Pastor Tim talked about, uh, last week about jumping across the Grand Canyon, right? It's a beautiful picture that regardless of, of the athlete that you are, if you're only that much better an athlete, I, I'm no athlete at all, believe me. And I would tumble down, like you said, those 800 feet uh, immediately after it leaping off. So rather, the, the righteousness is given uh, to us in a, a great exchange that takes on, place on the cross, right? We know that. And we know that we can lean on this love. So that love that everybody's looking for, that community that everybody's looking for, that's found in the Trinity, is the basis by which then we build our worldview on. So our world, yeah, Bob. You, you uh, mentioned the whole mobile bank about what we do uh, with four people we love, and then you talk about this model for us, but Jesus Christ, we sacrifice for those we love. Absolutely. Greater love has no man than this, right? He laid down his life for his friends. And Christ knew that. Uh, it's a, a wonderful picture of the, the love that we can express here um, through uh, our dealings with unbelievers. One of the things that uh, Kathy and I have been very privileged over the years to do is have lots of relationships and friendships with unbelievers. So God has uh, put lots and lots of them in our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, so we um, uh, are uh, in their homes and, and with them for dinners and with them through, uh, you know, uh, loss and, and tragedy. Uh, years ago, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine's mother died, and we brought them a meal, which is you know, very common in the church, right? But in the world at large it hardly ever happens. You'd be surprised at how, you know, so if one thing that I could uh, impart to you today would be uh, if you have unbelieving friends who are going through anything, make them a meal. Go share it with them. Sit down with them and cry and eat and then laugh a little bit. And then, you know, right there, yeah, I, I'm online a lot looking at um, uh, 
these Facebook groups, the presuppositional apologetics this and the evidential apologetics that and the uh, um, classical apologetics. So, you know, I, I have a dear love for Sproul and a dear love for Spurgeon. And, um, but, man, the community that is shown there is so lacking. It's so lacking. So this is what I would encourage you to do. Rather than watch, uh, you know, another James White um, video on YouTube, um, go make a meal for somebody in need. Uh, go make a meal and share it with an unbelieving family. Um, you know, the generosity that we can show as Christians uh, is boundless. And it doesn't cost all that much, right? It costs us our time, which we have very little of, but... Now, we, um, we see that longing for community out and about around us. And really, we are the community that needs to show what real community is and what real love is. So, because we know we can lean on that love. You can use it, use Christ to bear the weight of all that we've done wrong. As I was talking to uh, my my daughter this morning, um, and uh, I asked her, you know, uh, why why do we go to church? Why why what's the reason that we go to church? And she said, Well, I mean, there are lots of benefits to going to church. And I said, That is true. She's eight, by the way, eight going on thirty. Um, but she. Uh, so yeah, there are lots of benefits to going to church, and you know, I mean, we uh, uh, we get to hear God's word, and I said, yeah, yeah, that's it's a good benefit of of going to church, and we uh, uh, we get to see our friends, right, right. My my seven year old would say that sometimes there are donuts, and I uh, sometimes there are donuts, um, but really, when you boil it down, we go to church because God commands it, right, and also. Because at that, at our nature, our nature is community and our nature is to receive that love that we get through this. And what I encourage you to do is, and I need to do this more often too, is get out there and, and express that community to your unbelieving friends. I think that's what these first 18 verses of John lead us to do because we want to share that love like God shared it for us. We want to uh, express the hope that we have within ourselves. And then also, we want, to, um, we, we want to proclaim that gospel. We want to ta- talk about this man who became God. Or, excuse me, <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll... Uh, like I said, I, uh, I'm fighting a cold here, so I'm going to end a little bit early. I hope you don't mind. Oh, Ed, please, jump in. You know, between the two times Tim and I have a blessing having Tim really Ron Swenson. I remember something he said. It's supposed to be 15 years ago. He said, one of the temptations in the culture is that Satan will make it busier and busier. Mm. And that was before the internet, before the TV. Yeah. <clears throat> that, that really is the thing that... that Talk to people about it. it's got to be a hand, this or that. There's just busyness about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and I can't remember who said it. Somebody jump in and, and uh, let me know, but uh, uh, said that the per- in, in Satan's perfect world, in a, in a world that was run by Satan, everyone would live busy lives. They would go to church on Sunday where the gospel isn't preached, right? Is anybody? What? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I just, uh, and I, I thought about that and I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In a, in a, in a world where we, we, you know, we go to church and we said our Hail Marys and then we left out into the world and didn't talk to one another and lived our busy little lives. And, you know, I think that we, we do, Ed, have the, uh, the potential to fall into that even as Christians, you know, but share that community because that, that community is at the essence, in the essence of the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> end with uh, a quote from a song. <clears throat> my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And that's the hope. Oh, my gosh. That's the hope that we have inside of us. That's the hope that answers the questions that our unbelieving friends ask us. It's the hope that ties back into why, why is it that we seek out relationships? Why is it that we want love? And why is it that we're so disappointed when we don't get it? It's because people, the people that we rely on, the people that we lean on, will always fail us. They'll always fail us. But not God. But not Christ. Christ didn't fail us. When we needed him most, he was there. And when our friends and the people that are in our lives need him most, he's still there. And you know what? You're there too. You're the ordinary means that he uses then to proclaim the gospel. Why do we go to church? We go to church to be in community, to hear the word. But we go to church to be sent out. We go to church to be sent out into the world to tell them about these first 18 verses of John that encapsulate not only the whole of the gospel, but the whole of scripture and the whole of creation. I talked about that genealogy at the beginning, right? What is that genealogy? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There is the genealogy of Christ. It's begotten, not made. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> Don't you think there are a number of, well, just explosive number of artificial communities? Mm. You, they think more like clubs. Yeah. They really are. I mean, they're great places where people can connect, but there's not much sacrifice. It's more convenience or mutual interest. Oh, most definitely. But there's uh, there's a real hunger for community. You see it. Yeah. But then again, it's not. It's a, a facsimile of what real community. Oh, absolutely. Is a uh, oh, go ahead, Bob. Example: There have to be meetup groups. There's all kinds of meetups. Yes. For people to connect with other people. Yeah, meetup. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ralph. The great destroyer of of human contact is the internet. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, I'm an older guy, 
in the old days, you know, we were teenagers, we'd cruise three miles and we'd wave our friends, we'd, you know, flirt with the girls, go to the drive Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, on the other hand, oh, was somebody else? On the other hand, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I sympathize uh, greatly with that uh, with that statement. On the other hand, um, I was able to look at a scan uh, while I was preparing for this of uh, the Princeton Theological Review. Uh, pages 600 through 732, which is a um, from I think 1920 something. It's a, it's a like an an imaged uh, document um, of an article by Voss on the uh, four uses of the word logos in the fr- in the first chapter of John, right? And uh, the four it was it's an amazing article. I don't understand half of it. Um, the range of the logos name in the fourth gospel is uh, is the title of the article. So the the boundless information that that we get uh, from the internet is is a beautiful thing, I think, and and one that God has certainly um, opened up uh, for people who had never heard of uh, reformed thought to actually experience it. Um, and I think that we we can u- use it and, and use it well. Uh, it's also full of traps and dangers, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, Bob. You can share a meal with an unbelieving yeah. family or whatever. But one of the traps is is the telephones. Everybody needs to put their phones away while they share that meal. Just, you see people in restaurants sitting right across from each other. And both of them got their nose in their phone, or not even, you know, not even sharing the experience with each other. It's, yeah, that's you see it everywhere. It's, it's really sad. One of our friends is um, uh, his uh, uh, wife left, and so he's. Uh, uh, he invited us over, and and I took the girls um, this week, and uh, brought sausages and such, and. Um, there were his teenage daughter and her friend were uh, just sitting back to back on their phones. I asked them if they were texting one another, um, and uh, they they both looked up and they were like, "Well, kinda," because they were sharing memes uh, from uh, a, a mutual friend, and then they she would pass it on to this one, and and uh, it was uh, you know uh, it was real sad. And this uh, same uh, discussion, uh, this girl. Uh, Mentioned the the friend of my friend's daughter mentioned that her uh, dad was really happy that she was gay because she wanted he wanted a son, um, and uh, yeah. So this is something, by the way, that my you know, seven year old wants to talk about when when we leave that house. And in all honesty, you know, as much as I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I, when you when you open yourself up to relationships like that with unbelievers, those topics will come up, and so that's the other thing that uh, that church will help us with and prepare us for are those hard conversations. Why do we believe the things we believe? Not just benefits, reasons, right? If people want a good resource on, on this yeah. sort of topic, Rosaria Butterfield's uh, Openness Unhindered is a great yeah. uh, 
discussion about a, a variety of topics, but one of the main things is the hospitality right. at the heart of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Dan, you were going to say something. Well, just back to the, the nature of fellowship in the church, I've often thought, you know, look, at, look around here, how many of us would really be hanging out with each other if it wasn't due to our vital union with Christ? Amen. And also back to, you know, being sent, I mean, we're, we're not looking for, you know, as, as Calvinists, sometimes people think, well, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy because he looks like a good candidate for the kingdom. <laughs> and at the moment, you don't go there. Yeah. You go to the ends of the earth and see whoever. And uh, yeah. as tempting as it is to have like moral qualifications for those who we hang out with, uh, it's not what Jesus did. Yeah. Amen. There's wonderful people in the world. Yes. That, that are going to hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have a friend for years, <clears throat> and, and he... And he Talk about the pillar of the community. Great lawyer, great family. Yeah. And one of his kids went to uh, the, the Army Academy. It was sent by Ensign. And, you know, and I, I mean, I, I, he, he's, he's ostensibly Catholic. But in, in, my, in my mind, the Holy Spirit has never gone to him and, and tried to talk to him. Mm. And I love the guy. I hang out with the guy. But, you know, it's the same with my, my parents. Yeah. I'm convinced, you know, they didn't make it. Yeah. You know, uh, good people you know, raised a great son. <laughs> <laughs> no arguing there, Al. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you know, the bottom line is, in uh, God's providential way. He never went and said, I want you to them. And that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Scroll has said that no man seeks after God. Mm. Nobody's seeking God. Oh, Psalm says that. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, the, uh, when I wasn't a Christian, I, I became a Christian when I was 40. And before that time, I wasn't... I don't know if you thought seeking after God, but I wanted to know what mm. was true. Sure. And when we're talking to people, when we're uh, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, that sort of thing, uh, every one of those people, I think we should look at as though they are seeking truth. Mm. And if you talk to them about what's true, Solomon talked about it. Yeah. By the truth, that sort of thing. Um, that's the door opener. And once you get the door open, then you can communicate. So, I don't know. I mean, that people are seeking truth. Yes. It's not like they're out there uh, physically and knowingly at war with God, even though the Bible tells us we are. Yeah. Uh, by nature, we are. Yeah. So what we're talking about is getting into the supernatural realm rather than just the natural realm. And people are intelligent. And they can relate to the fact that there is a supernatural. Mm. And there is the natural also, which is kind of at war with the supernatural, obviously. So anyway, that's just the point I want to make. Yeah. There are people that are looking for the truth. And so that opens the door to our communicating with them. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Pastor. Uh, apologetics is a necessary and useful thing. Yes. But... In my judgment, love trumps it. Yes. And I think that's what you've been saying. Yeah. Warning is 
people aren't very interested. It's the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> yeah. And people, people are just looking. Uh, there's so little of them. Yeah. So little disinterested, self-giving, mm. sacrificial love anyway. It's rare. Yeah. And I think that can help open the door for whatever apologetic method you want to have. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think for even for my own heart, if I didn't know God loved me, I would still be afraid to run. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, I think, Ed, you had your hand up. I'm just curious when you, when you know that you're going to dinner with Oh yeah, yeah. We pregame a lot. There, there's a lot of that. Um, we, when uh, when we found out that uh, my friend's wife left, uh, you know, we uh, uh, we chatted with them for a, a good long while about what that meant and you know how to approach the kids uh, when we got there. Um, and uh, so a lot of that is. There's there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into those these sorts of things. Don't don't uh, shoot from the hip, um, uh, especially when when you're taking your kids, because uh, they are going to have a ton of questions. And also, kids are unfiltered. Uh, they will they will proclaim things that. And so we talk about good topics to talk about. We talk about things to avoid, and then we talk about like let's let's talk about. You, you know, how we address that. Josh, real quick, in the back. Um, sir, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Chuck, go ahead. Yeah, I think a lot of times when we get together with people, I think the complication that happens is what do we really want to talk about? What, what's the question we want to ask? An example was uh, when I was in Bible college in 85, I lived in the dorm, and I was the only black guy at the dorm. And so we got together and we would sit there and we would talk. And so one of the guys sat there and he said, I, I've got a question I've got to ask. And he said, you know, they were from Iowa. And they said, you know, why is it that, you know, black guys are pretty good athletes, but I don't see a lot of great black swimmers. And I said to him, I said, well, in our high schools, we didn't have swimming pools. Mm. Okay. And so he, he, he did not know that. Yeah. So, so I'm saying to you that I'm using that as an example that sometimes when we get together, it's like, you know, how do you get deep down that you can have a conversation and relate instead of staying on the surface? Yeah. Usually below is, is, is where the, the real conversation lies before you bring the gospel to people sometimes. Amen. Josh? I was just going to say that one thing we have to be prepared for is for love to be messy. Oh, yes. So to kind of Ed's question and, and your point about, you know, we can um, talk to our families and kids and we ought to, but we should expect that things are going to be messy sometimes when you, because there's a vulnerability. Yes. Uh, yeah. That you have to be vulnerable. To love somebody, you have to be vulnerable. Yes. And so we have to be prepared for that and recognize and trust God that he's at work in, in that effort. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it requires a lot of prayer and preparation, but uh, that's something we just have to be prepared for. And, uh, mm. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, we all know Spro is brilliant. Yes. Uh, there's another guy that also was, in my opinion, pretty brilliant. That's D. James Kennedy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lord Lauderdale. Uh-huh. And, in fact, the church I went to had planted Church mm. many years ago. Um, this is my contribution to the group. 
I hear a lot of people say, why, I don't know what to say. Mm. So I think Carwood's Presbyterian Church has, our, our Kennedy started what's called the Evangelism Explosion right. International. And they have a basic presentation that will open the door. I can talk to any someone I have no idea anything about right. and get into a gospel presentation with them very easily. Because the, the first thing you say to them is, have you reached the point in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Right. Now, that's not offensive. You're, offering, you're asking them if they know how to do something that would be very pleasant for them. Uh-huh. So anyway, here's my suggestion. If you're uncomfortable with talking about the gospel, get in touch with Carl Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. the Evangelism Explosion International part of that church, and you can get their presentation sent to you. Yeah. So that's uh, something that was of value to me, because I've been a P- in, P- in the PCA ever since I became a Christian. Mm. And Kennedy was there in Fort Lauderdale, and I listened to his presentations every morning. Yeah. Great. Thank you. In the back? Oh, no? Okay. Um, okay, well, uh, we've got about uh, three minutes, so I wanted to, everybody familiar with it? Oh, in the back. I just wanted to read uh, First Corinthians. Sure. Amen. Amen. I like that. A lot. It showed me that love is an action. We're called to love. Yes. You go to church every week. You don't love. Yeah, love is a verb. DC talk said, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can really talk about God without you know, coming to to the end of ourselves, mm. crying out to the Lord, and there's an intimacy that's created between us and Jesus. Mm. Uh, from that intimacy comes the Lord. You can't get anywhere else. Yeah. You cannot be manipulated. You cannot be manufactured. Yeah. But uh, Yeah, that intimacy comes from uh, that reliance, right? He's the, his is the only love that won't fail us. You may come to like me or love me over time. I will fail you. I will tell you that now. But Christ won't. Amen. Uh, it, yeah. Um, prayer is crucial. Amen. Yes. Put your unsaved uh, colleagues, your neighbors... Pray for specifically for opportunities regularly. Yeah. And uh, you'll be amazed at the Lord. Sure. Yeah, he will open up that door, absolutely. Uh, the one thing, you know, and then we have to be prepared to walk through it, right? And then also, uh, we um, have to be uh, prepared to fail, right? Uh, remember that, too. You're going to mess up. You're like that messy love that uh, Josh was talking about. It's, it's both ways, right? You're going to fail. And what's really important is that um, you uh, express to your unbelieving friends, like, look, yeah, I mean, I know I'm not perfect. Right? I mean, cause I'm, I'm sorry. And they have this picture, most of them, of Christians in their minds as people who think they're better than you, right? Better than everybody else. 
Now, God chose me, or, you know, I found God. There is pride in both of those statements, right? Essential pride. Everything we do is, is just uh, suborned with sin. Yeah. I think the key to that, and we're eliminating that, is vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute vulnerable, you know, straight up. You don't have to expose it. Yes. It's important with unbelievers. Yeah. They don't think, you know, they think we're so great when we already know we're not. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate this. Um, let's, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for um, your word. Again, uh, thank you for the community that you give us. Uh, thank you for the essence of yourself that you show us uh, in the Trinity uh, and at the center that love. Give us that love. Help us to have so much of it that overflows and, and that we uh, then go out into this world that you've created um, and uh, preach uh, your love and, and live, uh, live out that gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.